Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 153 of All Booked Up, the Buffalo and Erie County Public Libraries podcast about books, movies, and all things pop culture. I am your host, Michelle Snyder. And I am Jacob Maracle. Well, Jacob, it's June. It is. It's my, this, one of my favorite months. This June marks the 51st celebration of Pride Month. Um, you know, time when millions of people come together in support of the LGBTQ community. It's one of the reasons I love it, man. I love June. Pride Month's one of the best months of the year, in my opinion. That's 100% true. So sadly, this year, many celebrations across the globe, I mean, pretty much everywhere, Yeah. Um, might be virtual, but some are resuming because a lot of the COVID-19 restrictions are lifted, more people are vaccinated. Mm-hmm. That's super exciting, but sadly... Not in Buffalo. No. So no parade again. Jacob, how will I, I survive this? I I don't know. I mean, both of us are like, what are we supposed to do? That whole day is just awesome. Check out the parade. You it get is. to go out to the it's waterfront. A, it's, a, it's a perfect day. But There's always people throwing like Tootsie Rolls and candy into the crowd, which I'm a fan of. We, we will always I will take lo- out a five-year-old for some Smarties. Um, but we were thinking other ways to support this year. You can always um, support by donating to organizations. So, mm-hmm. for example... One that I was donating to this year is the International LGBTQ Travel Association. This organization helps provide marketing support to LGBTQ specific businesses. Oh, nice. So I don't know. I was really interested in that. There's the Pride Foundation, the Human Rights Campaign Fund, GLAAD, um, a lot of stuff that you can check out. And one of our favorite very early episodes was for Gay Pride Month. You bet it was. And we're going to actually replay that for you today because it was a long time ago when we didn't have as many listeners and you really need the content from this one. Yeah, you guys are going to use it. You guys are going to want to watch all of the movies that we talk about because they're all pretty great in their own way. That's super true. Remember, guys, we wouldn't wouldn't turn you wrong on this show. We're here to give you the good stuff. (laughs) That's our goal. Um, But before we get to that, we have a guest on today. We were lucky enough to have another person from Buffalo Creative Mornings. Um, We had a guest last month as well. Um, And I really hope everybody virtually checked out Naila's event. It was wonderful. Um, And if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, let me explain that again. In 2008, Tina Roth Eisenberg started Creative Mornings Buffalo out of a desire for an ongoing accessible events for New York's creative community. And it was a simple concept of breakfast in a short talk, one Friday a month, and that every event would be free of charge and open to everyone. And like we said last time, they used to be in person, but as long as COVID is still hanging around, they're doing them virtually right now. So our guest today is Yuki Numata Resnick. Um, Yuki is the founder of Buffalo String Works, which brings music to as an after-school program to refugees and immigrants in the area. This is her first time returning to Creative Mornings Buffalo since 2018, and she is rejoining the conversation on June 11th virtually. So if you go to creativemornings.com and search Buffalo, you'll see past talks, upcoming events, and can sign up to join in online next week. I mean, you all should do it. It's a great program. Everything about it is fantastic. And once you hear the interview, you're definitely going to want to go check it out. I believe that. So now let's uh, meet Yuki. Hey, Michelle. I'm great. How are you doing? Um, Pretty good. Thank you so much for joining Jacob and myself early in the morning. We always appreciate that. No, we, uh, I appreciate it too. Man, it was 
little, we were running a little late today, but I'm <laughs> glad to be here with both of you. So can you please tell us about Buffalo Stringworks? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm actually one of three co-founders of the organization. We started it in September 2014. And just like you said, Michelle, we're an after-school music program. And, you know, really, we historically were best known for working with the refugee and immigrant community. Um, and I think what's really just special about the work that we do is like, yes, it's about music, but it's actually about the togetherness and the teamwork and the community that that we can build through music. So, you know, we teach our students like you you sound better when you practice, but also your team sounds better. You know, we we help our students learn sort of unlock all of that agency and, and leadership that they have within them through music education. And then we're really hoping that they'll take those skills and those qualities beyond our classrooms, bring it into their school classrooms, into their home communities and into the communities that they're growing up in. Um, so that's what we do at Buffalo Stringworks. I mean, I love that togetherness built through music is like, yeah, that's absolutely like that makes perfect sense. It's this like universal language. Yeah, it really is. And I think, you know, especially, you know, over the last few years, we've we've all sort of been living in this very polarized society. And um, I think music and, and kids, <laughs> they're two of the, the few things in the world that I think aren't polarizing. I mean, almost all of us have music in our lives, whether we're singing in the shower, listening to the radio, or, or being an actual musician. Um, and I think kids too, you know, I mean, kids have, have a way of, of uniting generations. Um, so, you know, that's why we, we do the work that we do. You know, um, I, I'm a musician myself, and in 2013, I was a professor at UB of violin and viola, and I oh, was wow. invited, yeah, thank you, and um, I was invited with some colleagues to go and perform at International School 45. But like, right now, that school is really located in the heart of the refugee and immigrant neighborhood here in Buffalo, and yeah. I think, like, over 40 languages are spoken at that school. It's incredibly wow. diverse, so vibrant. And in 2013, I had just moved to Buffalo. I didn't really know much about the city. And so I said, sure, I'll go play at the school with my colleagues and was just immediately struck by how, you know, wonderfully diverse that school is. And I, I had no idea. It was such a surprise to me. So, you know, we played some music for the students and, you know, we always tell this story because it truly is the reason why we started Buffalo Stringworks. Um, we, we performed a slow movement of Brahms and, and uh, we said to the students, you know, what does this make you think of? And this little boy, he was underneath the table and he kind of peeked his head out and he said, well, I, I think it sounds like I love you. Oh, oh my god. Yeah. I mean I that's that so much. Right. And like that's exactly the reaction we had too. We were like, whoa, you know, there was something about the music and the students in that particular classroom, maybe in that particular school, where music touched them in this really unique way where they had words to describe it in ways that we had never heard kids describe music before. And so after the the school concert, they said, like, we want to play. When can we play? And so three of us who were involved in that school concert, we kind of looked at each other. We were like, well, you know, maybe we got to do something here. And, you know, we knew that, that the schools aren't able to prioritize the arts during the school day. Um, you know, I think most of the public schools here in Buffalo, they, they certainly 
meet the minimum standards of having a general music class every six school days, but very few of them have an instrumental class where a kid is actually given an instrument to play and it's something that they pursue. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we wanted to fill that gap. So, so that's why six months later, we, we opened Buffalo Stringworks and, you know, had no idea what we were doing. The three of us are musicians and educators. And so, you know, we've been learning along the way about kind of small nonprofits and how to run them and, and how to keep them thriving because it's just, the kids keep coming. They keep coming to class, even during the pandemic, they've been coming to class online. They're so committed. So we just know that this is what our community is asking for. So we're always just trying to figure it out. You know, I grew up playing the violin and I, and now looking back, I realized the kind of privilege that I had. And I had parents who could, you know, afford music lessons and they had the time to drive me to and from lessons every week. Like it wasn't something that I did in school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I feel very lucky that it's something that now I can do for other kids. And, you know, I've been a violinist for so long and, um, there was something about it that didn't quite check all the boxes, even though I've loved, I've loved playing the violin. I've played all over the world and been so lucky with that. And, um, you know, like just actually during the pandemic, you know, I even had the, the sort of good fortune to play on both of Taylor Swift's records that came out oh. during the pandemic. Wow, really? But That's magical. I did. I did. But, you know, none of that checked all the boxes and Buffalo Stringworks does for me. So, you know, I feel really, you know, very, very fortunate that I can now do this kind of work. Yeah, so definitely come visit us online, buffalostringworks.org. And then we're also pretty active on Facebook and Instagram, Instagram at Buffalo Stringworks. And maybe just a, a little shameless plug is that we just launched our very first apparel sale in Ooh. partnership with Positive Approach Press. And we're super proud because our students, like I said earlier, you know, we're talking about student leadership and giving them a voice. You know, it, one year ago, our students came to us and they said, you know, we we want a platform to be able to talk about racial equity and racial justice and, and like what's going on in the world right now. And so we said, okay, like let's let's make this happen. And so last summer during our summer camp, some of our student leaders, they got together we brought in some facilitators. We brought in a graphic designer named Justin Loeb. And together they created a brand new t-shirt design that really like is the intersection of Black Lives Matter and Buffalo Stringworks values. And so it's an incredible t-shirt and hoodie design that the kids came up with. And now we're able to sell it through Positive Approach. And so I really encourage you guys to go check out our website. There's a banner that will take you right to our sale. And um, you know, all of the proceeds of the sale go right back into the program. So, you know, one t-shirt sale, that means one month of instrument rentals. So there's like a really sort of, it, it equates right there, you know, whatever you do online, you know, we can, then we turn it into music. So you can, you can guarantee that I will have that t-shirt by the end of next week. <laughs> so that sounds, that all sounds really wonderful. This is an amazing program and I'm really looking forward to your creative mornings talk. Thanks, Michelle and Jacob. Me too. Well, she was a completely lovely human. I mean, yeah, fantastic. It sounds like a, like we said, it sounds like a great program. She sounded great on the show. Well, she sounded great. You guys, I'm really sorry about the microphones. We'll try to figure it out. It's like we hook up a normal mic through Zoom 
And then it sounds like we're murderous but, robots drowning in water. I mean, you know, we did not get any chance over the last year to practice on Zoom, everybody. So we're still, <laughs> it's still learning. Don't it, make fun of us. Still figuring it out. All right, we're going to hop into the episode. I just want to say for the people who can't go out and celebrate Pride, you can still celebrate from home. You can always hang a Pride flag outside mm-hmm. your house. Place a Pride sticker on your car. Maybe host a, your own Pride-themed movie night. We know where you can get the movies. Yeah, we got a place. Uh, wear some Pride clothing. Join virtual events. Um, just always be an ally to your LGBTQ colleagues, friends, family member, and support those organizations in schools, in your community. And next week, we are going to have another guest. It oh, is boy. the library's director, Mary Jean Jakubowski, who is retiring. Lucky her, man. That's a good for her. Good for her. Just that's all I can say. It's going to yeah. be a fantastic. I think interview. it's like twenty nine years that she's worked here, which Yikes. is outstanding. So we will have her on next week, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Take care. So for people that don't know, the month of June was chosen for LGBT Pride Month to commemorate the Stonewall riots, which occurred at the end of June in nineteen sixty nine, and just as a result of that, many Pride events are held during the month to recognize the impact of LGBT people. Um, and, you know, the, the impact that they've had in the world. So, yeah, that's great. It's very impactful nowadays when you can actually be more open about it. Like you look at all the people, important people, important facts of like pop culture that have happened from the LGBT community. Oh, man. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's been everywhere. A, it's been a it's been a rough road. Well, even the fact that it's, you know, commemorated in June because of the Stonewall riots. I mean, that was like a crazy event where if. Uh, so there was like spontaneous demonstrating by the gay community against a police raid that took place in the early morning of June in 1969 at the Stonewall Inn in Greenwich Village. Um, this was kind of back when gay people. Yeah, there. they were, so just they were like, "Oh, we're just gonna raid. You get arrested for." Yeah, existing. they would just arrest people for being gay. It's kind of a weird regressive, you know, policy. But you look back in time, you're like, "That is not a good look." Like, what was the problem? It's just people no, living their lives. No, but sometimes man. then you're like, "Well, this happened, and this became kind of the most important event that led to the gay liberation, you know, movement and the modern fight." So. A, it never should have been that way, but B, because it was, it's almost, you know, it's good that the Stonewall riots happened to kind of, to jumpstart this. Yeah, get it all going. And now we are chock full of awesome media, cinema, TV, all that good stuff. Yeah, finally. I mean, it definitely, it definitely took a long time to get there, um, but there's some great stuff now. And I think some of the best is films coming out where there are gay characters, and it's not that it's a gay central storyline. It's just these are people existing, and they happen to be gay. Yeah, just kind of like another part of their personality. It's just, you know, it's who they are, you know, like it is, like it is in real life. So Yeah, absolutely. So I thought today we could talk about some of our favorite gay films, maybe some books, some TV shows, a little from column A, a little from column B. Possibly see if there's time, but I'm sure there won't be, knowing how bad we are what, at time management. What lives in column C? Uh, that'd be like books, probably. Oh, I thought, okay. I thought maybe <laughs> maybe we were getting somewhere deeper. I'm like, yeah, it's diary time. Okay, <laughs> so the first movie I want to talk about, which is maybe not the greatest movie ever. Um, great sell, great sell, well, sell job there. But I, <laughs> yes, it's it not has, great, but. I'm just saying, like, it's not like this. If you want to understand gay culture, like, you should watch this film. But I love it. And it is called But I'm a Cheerleader. Oh, okay. And so you know it. It's I about do. Megan, who's played by Natasha Leon, and it's she, Natasha Leon. 
Please, you gotta get. She's did I not get French enough? That's true. I've, I've actually. There you go. Thank you. There it is. So she considers herself to be a typical American girl. She excels in school and, of course, cheerleading. She has a handsome football-playing boyfriend, even though she's not that crazy about him. Um, but, you know, the warning signs, she also eats tofu, and she listens to Melissa Etheridge. Oh. And she has a pillowcase decorated with Georgia O'Keeffe flowers, which, I mean, we all know what that means. I mean, how would you not? <laughs> so she, but she's stunned when her parents decide that she's gay, and they send her to True Directions, which is a boot camp, which is meant to alter her sexual orientation. And while she's there, she's encouraged by Mike, who is played by RuPaul, um, as just like a a recovered gay man and he's a reprogrammer and he's trying to set her back on the path to straight life but she also meets some other lesbians we got a little Clea Duvall in there who who was it that's an it girl like around that time when that movie came out yeah absolutely she's pretty good but so the movie itself um topical too when you think about it with uh like you know trying to like change people's um orientation and stuff well like yeah that. I mean these camps I mean it's not that they're not real they're you know there have been these I oh, mean, they're for sure real. Like, yeah, they're it's, definitely it's, still a thing now. That's some, like, horror show to talk about. But I feel like the movie kind of has the tone of, like, a John Waters film. Yeah, it's a little think? bit of, like, a black comedy kind yeah, of thing Yeah, like, kind of goofy. On. But he, I think the director, Jamie Babbitt, goes for more, like, kind of slapstick stuff. I mean, not all the jokes work, which is that's, common no, in satire. Yeah, that's how most movies work. You know, most of, some of them work, some don't. Yeah, yeah, as long as you hit more often than miss, you're good. But Hanal, so I want to play a clip from it and to give a setup. So these, I'm going to call them like inmates. They attend like this compulsory meeting based on like a 12-step program where they analyze their addiction to being gay. And they have classes devoted to implanting gender behavior. So like the girls practice diapering baby dolls and the boys chop logs. And it's super hysterical to watch, but I'm going to put a little clip in to give you an idea. It's time for your first disclosure. Now, don't be intimidated. Why don't you start by telling us about the first time that you realized that you might be a lesbian? I'm not. Everyone just thinks I am. I shouldn't even be here. <laughs> That's a perfectly normal place to start. Why don't we discuss the issues in your intervention? Well, I'm a vegetarian. I have pictures of women around. You think that's normal? Sure. I get good grades. I go to church. I'm a cheerleader. Okay, so I, I love that movie. I haven't seen it in a while. I think I need to go back and watch it because I remember really enjoying it when I when I saw it when it first came out. It's really cute. And, you know, the end is kind of, you know, you are who you are. There's no, there's no changing it. So it's a very positive message. Okay, Jacob, so what do you have for us? I'm going to go with a much... A much different tone of my movie here. I'm going to go with Dog Day Afternoon, the okay. n- the 1975 Al Pacino classic. Did I, you ever uh, ever see it? I feel really guilty saying this, but I haven't. Oh, it's man. been on my list forever. I know, I know. So, okay, so this is probably going to surprise you what kind of like the plot of this movie is. So you probably know that it's a... Uh, it's about a bank robbery. Al Pacino and his partner, John Cazaley. I forget what his name is in the movie, though. They're police, right? No, they are robbing the bank. Oh, for real? Yeah. Wow, even in my head, I had it totally Yeah, you got, the, you got, it, got it backwards there. <laughs> okay. So they are going in to rob a bank, and, you know, they have the whole Attica scene. You know, it kind of gets out of hand because their whole plan is to just get in, get out with the money. That all goes awry. Okay. Um, but the whole crux about the movie, like halfway through, you find out why... 
this is a such a LGBT movie is the whole reason that they are robbing the bank in the first place. Wait, is, wait. Is this a spoiler? No, it's part It's also a really old movie. Yeah, it's from the 70s. No it's a spoiler after 40 or 50 it's years. It's 40 43 okay. years, so I okay. don't think the spoiler Please continue. Page. So it ends up turning out that the reason that um, they are robbing the bank in the first place is because Al Pacino needs to get his boyfriend some gender reassignment surgery. So the Dang, whole, yo. So the whole reason that they are robbing the bank is so that they can, uh, you know, they can afford that. Wow. So yeah, that yeah, took a twist. Yeah, it's uh, kind of out of left field, especially for 1975. It's not something that you was a typical plot line. Like even nowadays, if you put that in a movie, if it comes out of like left field. Wow. They don't really hint at it at all. They talk about like his boyfriend. I believe his name is Chris. Okay. But they, you know, they just say, you know, we're needed for like Chris. So it's, it's always implied, like, in your mind, you just assume that it's, like, a girl. It's, like, a shortened nickname for them. Sure. And then but that's really interesting. Yeah. So, and then. It's, it's, it moved higher on my list now. I'm definitely yeah, going to watch it. Yeah. It's a surprising thing. And then the performances are just amazing all around. I believe Jim Cazale won uh, an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for this movie. Okay. I don't know if Pacino won. I know he was nominated. It did win Best Picture of the Year it came out. Um, and if it's one of those movies that. Where that developed a lot of the bank robbery heist uh, tropes that you see in movies nowadays and some of like the pop culture things like, you know, yelling Attica over and over again. That sure. all comes from this movie. Okay. So. And then, you know, I don't want to give away everything. So there's a lot of twists and turns and surprises as the movie goes, especially once you get near the end. So Well, everybody better hurry to the library because I'm taking that home tonight. Yeah, if you've been... Uh, You've been waiting these 43 years to check it out? Yeah, you pick it up nowadays. All right, cool. All right, what do you got? Uh, so the next one, it is a French film. It is called My Life in Pink. Okay. Or Ma Vie in Rose, but not the oh. Edith Piaf one. I was about to say, wait a minute here. They're close. They have like a different something about them. But the story is about seven-year-old Ludwig, and he announces to his parents that he is, in fact, a girl. So after he learns about chromosomes, he explains to his parents that instead of the female XX chromosomes he was intended to get, he received the male XY after his other X fell in the garbage. Okay. So it's tough, you know. Seems legit. Yeah. So his parents first view, because he has this newfound taste for girls' clothes and toys, and they kind of look at it as like a harmless phase. But then, you know, neighborhood parents start growing concerned, and his dad's like prudish boss lives next door, um, and he like really disapproves of this and especially because Ludwig decides that he wants to marry at the boss's son so they start to like take steps to cure him um another one of those curing kind yeah of stories. but you know what's good about the film it, it's really beautiful it's really beautifully shot um you do you feel the parents struggle very much like they're they're good people and they're just like this is our son this is what he's into but I mean to have a seven-year-old you know, displaying this, it's just very stressful for them. They're trying to do the right thing. It definitely won the Golden Globe for Best Foreign Language Film. Um, I mm. think that, I, I don't know if that's all that it won, but the movie's interesting. So it's about two ways of kind of seeing things too. So, you know, kid versus adult. And it shows that children construct like elaborate play worlds out of like dreams and fantasy and then they kind of plug that into the real world like it doesn't focus on that maybe he's even gay or transgender but that he's just kind of living out this sort of fantasy but things that as adults since we see things in such literal terms mm -hmm. that we're less open to this sort of fantasy idea um 
And it plays a lot with the idea that people have like never been threatened by girls that dress up as boys, which is really, really common. But when boys dress up as girls, you know, people kind of freak out about it. So this like innocent little kid is really made to pay for all of like the gay phobias and fears and prejudices of like the adults of the world. And he's just like trying to exist. So I feel like that's like a common that's kind of happening nowadays where it seems like the older generation sometimes has more of a problem with it than like the younger generation. And it seems like they're it's in the future. It's not going to be as big of an issue. For well, yeah, people I mean, because as they slowly change things where they're like clothes are a little more universal. So it's not so black and white. I mean, I grew up 100 percent tomboy, super short hair. Only played with He-Man. I've never owned a doll. Um, you know, boy shorts, boy shirts. I would only swim as a kid in trunks only. Like, well, I was a boy. <laughs> I can't argue with that. They are much more comfortable. Yeah, you know, so always camping, like, with my dad and my brother. Um, so, you know, kids just kind of figure their, their own things out. But the movie, it's just good. But it really just showed the kids' side and the adult side. It does a really good film. So check it out. All right. What else? Yeah. Just try to avoid the Edith Piaf one because if you get them, you're expecting <laughs> well, one thing, yeah. you're going to get a totally... Although that is also a great film. It is not the same tone. Yeah, very good movie, totally different story. <laughs> you're going to be very confused if you go in there <laughs> waiting for that. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and go to the comedy route here. I'm going to go and recommend The Birdcage. I was wondering if that was going to come up. So, yeah, I love this movie. <laughs> Birdcage. I've heard some people say that it can be... It's a little, like cringeworthy at parts to watch nowadays but honestly i don't care nathan lane is too much nathan (laughs) lane in the role of a lifetime if he's been basically living off this character since then and uh, it still has not gotten old i mean and what i liked about that film though is that the nathan lane character and the robin williams character they're so different so it really shows you like two completely different gay men so one is maybe like so stereotypical over the top and then one is, you know, the opposite of that. And I love them and together. Throw in Hank Azaria as their, uh, oh, as their maid, Agador the Spartacus. Oh, just another one. Everything about this movie is just, it's one of the best comedies I've ever seen. I kind of like didn't, I avoided it when I was younger. Because, you know, I'm a stupid kid. I thought it was just going to be a dumb movie. Then I watched it and I just was like cracking up the entire time. Like, I'm trying to think who's this, who, so what's the premise again? I feel like I cut you off. So the premise of the movie is... Um, so Nathan Lane and Robin Williams are um, a gay couple living in South Beach, Miami. Uh, they own a club, The Birdcage. Um, and then their son it comes home from college. He's 19 years old, and he tells them that he's getting married to a senator's daughter. Senator is played by Gene Hackman and his <laughs> wife, Diane Weiss. This cast is just amazing yeah. all the way around. So they tell him that his he finds out that the father of the bride is like a super conservative senator. So he's coming down to Miami to meet the family. So he, the son is doesn't Got want it. him I to remember. know that he's gay. Yeah. So he tries to like hide it, and they're just kind of like trying to work around the fact. The antics of that, yeah, hilarity and, ensues. Oh, and like we said, there's just not enough you can say about Nathan Lane in this movie. Robin Williams. This is kind of when you know his whole shtick at times can be a little bit much with Robin Williams, but it definitely works for the character that he has here. Yeah, um, it's just a great, great movie altogether. Um, Nathan Lane, I believe, got an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actor for this he's movie. A real, he's a real gem. Yeah, I mean, like we, we seem like we're just focusing mo- mainly on him, but honestly, it's, it's the main thing. Because he's just on. so funny. <laughs> like, uh, every, I mean, just let's, go. Let's, go actually, let's see if we can grab a clip of him real All quick. Right, let's just do that. we need to. Don't use that tone to me. What tone? 
that sarcastic, contemptuous tone that means you know everything because you're a man and I know nothing because I'm a woman. You're not a woman. Oh, you bastard. So that's just one kind of idea on, like, Nathan Lane in that movie, but just all around just an amazing performance. I mean, we could have put a million clips in here, but most of them would just be him hilariously screaming. And a lot of it is, you know, it's very visual comedy. Oh, yes. their bodies a lot. And plus, this is an R-rated movie, people, so there is quite a bit of swearing going on in this movie. So this is a G-rated podcast. We can't (laughs) be throwing all them dirty words on this show. All right. Okay, good. So, oh, I also for oh. I mentioned there's also a Buffalo connection because uh, Christine Baranski from Buffalo uh, plays uh, the biological mother of Vale in the Birdcage. That's it. That's your that's how. That's a main character in the movie. That's one I of the guess. people in Buffalo. There's a lot of movies. All right, I was expecting a little more, but I guess I accept this. I accept this. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So another movie I think underrated is called Trans America. Familiar at all, Jacob? Vaguely, yes. So um, it stars Felicity Huffman. Oh, yep, there it is. She yep. is fantastic in this film. But right in the midst of important changes in her life, which for her is sex reassignment surgery, uh, the character is Brie Osborne, which again is Felicity Huffman. She learns that she fathered a son, Toby, 17 years ago. She, you know, she tried once in college and sure. didn't work out, but this happened. So she reluctantly leaves Los Angeles and travels to New York to meet him who is this like street hustler kid who's trying to improve himself by becoming a porn star. And this career choice is extremely distressing to Brie because she's very ladylike, middle-class conservative, um, which again is hilarious as she's like transgendered, but she's unwilling to reveal her real identity to him. So she poses as a Christian caseworker who specializes in converting sex workers to Jesus. And then he agrees to drive back with her to L.A. because he needs a ride. And then the whole time she's trying to find a way to reveal um, who she really is. Okay. And all in all, it is a great film. Felicity Huffman is amazing. But it is, I feel, a film about family values more than anything else. That's not what I expected the movie to be about. I'm not sure what I thought Transamerica was about. But. It's really good. So, yeah, it sounds like it's going to be interesting. So it's basically just trying to connect with your long-lost son kind of thing. Pretty much, yeah. Like the, they don't have a relationship, and she's trying to work on it. And she also, you know, has this big thing to She got, um, if I remember correctly, I believe uh, Felicity Huffman also got an Oscar nomination for that movie. I oh, I'm know. sure that she did. I'm not, I don't know if she won it. I don't think she I did. don't think so, but she was she was really great. So, Oh, we're running out of time. Tell me what you got. We're, I'm going to start talking way we're faster. We're always running out of time on I this know, show. I know. I want to throw some books in. All right. So I'm going to go with I Love You, Philip Morris next. Did you ever see that movie? I did, yeah. So this is a Ewan McGregor and Jim Carrey movie. It is based on the true story of Stephen J. Russell. He's a con man from the 80s and 90s. And it's about him and this love affair that he had with a fellow um, convict named Philip Morris. And it's the, you want to talk about a black comedy. This yeah. one is one of those. I like when Jim Carrey plays these roles. It's like the only time I like him. Yeah, it's when he does. He's starting to go in that little, the darker route there for a while yeah. after he got like stopped doing the Ace Ventura movies and stuff yeah. like that. Um, yeah, it's just a really good. It, they, it, the homosexuality angle is a major theme of the movie considering the whole thing is just Philip Morris and Steven just can't seem to stay away from each other. Mm-hmm. Even though they're horrible for each other, they turn <laughs> each other into con men, they end up going to jail numerous yeah. times. Um, Russell breaks out of jail four different occasions just so he could be with Philip. Like, 
it's good. It's but, like a it's a great love story that takes place in an unsuspecting place. You know, you wouldn't think it. Like, and both characters were married at one point, trying to like you know hide their way that they truly were their real feelings for each other. But they were trying because they didn't want to accept that that's who they really were. Yeah. Um, just a really good movie, and one I feel like people forgot about, like ignored when it came out, because you know it really didn't. There was no kind of big push on it. It was yeah. one of those forgotten Jim Carrey movies, considering oh, the char- the um, caliber of the actors in it. It's kind of a forgotten movie. Well, it's funny. So Ewan McGregor um, is actually in my next choice, too, which oh. is the film Beginners. I did not see that one. Oh, I love that movie. So after his mother dies, um, Ewan McGregor is stunned when his father, Hale, who's played by Christopher Plummer, who is fantastic. What don't they put Christopher Plummer in these days? He's so good, but he's recently diagnosed with terminal cancer, and he comes out of the closet. Okay. And he's like 80. <laughs> Seems like about the right time. Yeah, you know, and is just really living life. So Oliver, the Ewan McGregor character, is someone who's really afraid of failing and afraid of commitment and trust and meaningful relationships. Um, And then, you know, Hale is just beginning to live his true life. And the movie's kind of about how both men find love. Um, And then after Hale passes away, like a few years later, it's about Oliver, who's really depressed and struggling um, in loneliness and him meeting someone and you know, his fear of commitment and how he's trying to work through that while kind of remembering his father and how brave his father was at the end there. So it is a really warm film. It's super sincere. It's well acted. And it is based on a true story. So oh, it's always hitting all the major buttons there. For yeah. Sure. So I highly, I highly recommend that one. Go grab it. See, look how quickly I did it. Boom. What we got next? Uh, I'm going to go to Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, <laughs> Julie Newmar. Yeah. Starring John Leguizamo, Patrick Swayze, and Wesley Snipes. What a movie. Yes. Uh, another one from the mid-90s when, uh, you know, views on gay culture and stuff was taking a turn for the positive. Um, the three of them play three drag queens who are on their way from New York to California to compete in the national, I don't remember if it's national, international drag queen competition. Um, their car breaks down in the middle of the South, like, you know, very conservative rural South. And they're basically just bringing their their culture to like this staid, kind of stale community, and you know trying to add some like spice and color That's to the a whole situation. Film, like. <laughs> There's a Chris Penn pot line in there with uh, involving an abusive uh, sheriff. You know that's just mm-hmm. for the antagonism. Um, but man, first of all, we had to talk about John Leguizamo being a like very convincing drag queen in that movie. Yeah, it looks great. It was like it's <laughs> it looks like, fantastic. It's like three different levels of uh, drag queens in that movie. There's uh, John Leguizamo, very convincing. Patrick Swayze, you know, passable in there. And then there's Wesley Snipes, which is just mm, not so not yeah. so much on that one. <laughs> um, but it's just it's one of those enjoyable little fun movies that came out in the mid '90s. Um, Another one like is mentioned, but it's not really talked about too often. I don't know. Days. It comes up on a lot of on a lot of lists for like gay films, so yeah. it's a pretty classic. I think gay film. Yeah, so point. it's a pretty fun movie. You know, okay, well, check it out. You mentioned fun. I'm gonna bring it way down. Oh, lovely. Real, real low. So, I have to talk about Boys Don't Cry oh, because boy. I, if I remember correctly, it was like the first really prominent gay film that like I remember seeing where the you know the central character was gay and it was based on a true story so it's about young female to male transgender Brandon Tina who is played by Hilary Swank who won her first Oscar 
for this role, well-deserved. Oh, yeah, for sure. Without she was a doubt. On, when she was on a roll, like two or three in a row. Yeah, but Brandon leaves his hometown under threat when his ex-girlfriend's brother discovers that he's biologically female and then resettles in the small town of Falls City, Nebraska. And Brandon ends up falling for Lana, who's played by Chloe Zvegny, as an aspiring singer and begins to plan for their future together. And then her ex-convict friends, um, one's played by Peter Sarsgaard, who, man. Oh, man, he's, Sarsgaard's. He's terrible in that. And then I'm not sure the other one is, but they learn of Brandon's secret, and then things go south really, really quick. Again, it's a true story. It's completely tragic. It has, like, really beautiful moments of Brandon's uh, journey and this love affair and everything. But what's what I think is most fascinating, especially reading about Brandon Tina afterwards, is that it's not that she is transsexual or a lesbian or a cross-dresser or like a member of any other category of sexual identities, but she is just a girl who thinks of herself as a boy. Right. And so when she leaves Nebraska and moves uh, to Falls City, that's just how she presents herself. So I feel like she doesn't even feel like she's lying as much, you know, because she's just living who she feels that she is. Which was a very, you know, controversial topic at the time because it was something that people were just starting to kind of come to grips with. That there's just, you know, some people that they just like feel like a different kind of person than the way they were born and they're just trying to live as that person, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's one of the first ones that brought that to light and got it to people's attention. And then, you I know, mean, knowing that's a true story though, and then it's just. It's really disgusting. There's all kinds of horrifying stories if you really start digging into like I know. where a lot of these come from. It's if just anyone does watch this, which they should because it's a powerhouse performance, but you need to be prepped that it, it there's not a happy ending. No. It's not a happy life. It's story. a lot of these that don't have happy endings, but, you know, enjoy the ride on them. I'm just, I'm just going to rattle off a couple here because we, we I was going to say I was going to list just a couple, too, and then let's just talk about books real quick. Yeah. Um, you know, check out, uh, you know, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. There's Will and Grace. That was another big one that, you know, has some uh, gay characters at the center of it. Yeah, um, and then came back. Left and came back. Still still pretty good, too, yeah. actually. Uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, Hedwig and the Angry Itch, of course. <gasps> I love Hedwig and the Angry Itch so much. I, of course, had to, like, go a little bit on the musical side, as is my speciality. As, as is where your heart beats. But, no yeah, doubt. go check all of those out. They're all worth checking out. I'm also going to mention um, films I think are important would be The Kids Are All Right. Because it has lesbian couple bringing up two children. Um, and Mark Ruffalo. Anytime and Mark that, Ruffalo's in something, check I it out. I like Moonlight, the big Oscar winner a couple years ago, because it shows homosexuality in the black community. You have the movie Free Held, which um, is gay, you know, a gay rights film because it's about a dying police officer, and she wants to leave her pension benefits to her domestic partner, which they won't allow. And it's kind of like the Supreme Court case that follows. Um, Call Me By Your Name, the mm -hmm. big winner from last year, is a great, just like a young gay love story. Um, oh, man, there's just... Like Brokeback Mountain, Blue is the Warmest Color. The Laramie Project is a documentary that's also super, super depressing, but... And then Bohemian Rhapsody is coming out this summer, so that's yeah. one to check out in theaters. Truth. Looks so, good. So, so much So stuff. there's a bunch of stuff. Um, we have a lot on display at the Downtown Central Library, so if you're not sure what you want, or, I mean, there's a ton more that we haven't mentioned, you can kind of pop up and look at that or ask a librarian. Yeah. But let's mention a couple books uh, real quick here. So, What you got? One that I'd really recommend is this book called The Paying Guests. 
by Sarah Waters. Okay. So it takes place in 1922 in London, and the impoverished widow, Mrs. Ray, and then she has her spinster daughter, you know, spinster, Frances, and they're obliged to start taking in lodgers. So they take in Lillian and Leonard Barber, this young, um, modern young married couple, and it really changes everybody's life in unexpected ways. And so the new tenants, um, I will say Lillian, really kind of alter the course of Francis's life. Um, you know, passions mount and frustrations grow and blah, blah, blah. But it has it has a huge twist, like a lot happens. But the, you know, I, I really don't want to give too much away, but it has a really, it has a really nice build. Um, and their relationship is presented. It's, it's really fantastic. It's really believable. Um, even though things get a little kind of crazy at the end. But uh, yeah, so I would check that out. And then I wanted to throw in a book I haven't read, The Tales of the City by Armistead Maupin. And okay. I'm only bringing that up because it's on that um, 100 Great American Reads. The, is that the big read book uh, that we did last week or just kind of Great American? No, no, no. It's on this, the 100, yeah, the 100 Great American Reads list, the one okay. that we've been talking about. So it's on there. And I guess it's been around for like four decades and kind of blazed its own trail through pop culture. It was like a groundbreaking newspaper serial and then became a novel. It became like a television event. Um, it's like a really huge deal. And in the Great American Read video where they they kind of started off they have like people in the gay community talking about how much this book affected them and you know th at the time that it came out it was a really big deal kind of changed the way that they lived their life so that's worth checking out i have a couple more do you have any or no nah, go for it i'll just keep babbling yeah go for it i got nothing God, i love babbling um okay one of my favorites is angels in america so that is a play actually written by Tony Kushner. I remember the HBO miniseries a bunch Absolutely. of years ago. Absolutely. It is fantastic. So it shows the struggles in the LGBTQ community. Um, and it all takes place like in the midst of the AIDS epidemic. And I don't even, I mean, the HBO special, even just reading it, you get a lot out of it. The HBO special is breathtaking. But it's, um, even though it's not a book, it's been like read in classrooms and book clubs. Um, it has amazing text. The story is, it's heartbreaking. It's a lot to take in, <laughs> but. We don't even got time to get into it, but it's a, you know, it's a big time miniseries, the good books. It's one of those ones. It almost seems like it's like one of those must read lists that people put out all the time. It really should be. Um, and it, it's nice that like a lot of them end up getting made up into film then. So that yeah. it just reaches an even larger audience. Like, I guess this is the last one I'll mention. I guess a normal heart is like that too. The oh HBO yeah. Did that's a, uh, a series on that one. So yeah. And then they had put, and the band played on when that first came out. That H was, that HBO was ahead of the curve on that. that now they were starting to name and them. the band played on affected me so much. That's, have you seen it? Yes, I have. That yeah. scene where he's like, how many have to die? Give us a number and we'll stop bothering you until then. I was like, dang. Like, um, but also the book A Single Man by Christopher Isherwood. Okay, I was going to recommend that movie, but I didn't remember it enough to bring it yeah, up. Yeah, it was so. a great film. Did he win? Uh, did Colin Trail win Best Actor? He might have been no, nominated. No, he nominated. Because he won he for he the did. King's Speech. Okay. Um, but that really, I think it became more popular when the film came out, and of course because Tom Ford made it, so it was just like <laughs> this beautiful art film. But uh, the book is about a day in the life of George Falconer, who's going through this like existential crisis after suddenly losing his partner in a tragic accident. Um, 
and it really so it, it talks about just this gay relationship and it's a lot about staying alive when the thing that you love is most gone so I think it's really beautiful to read a love story from just like another point of view and it comes across really beautifully on and screen it, and in print and that's a universal topic you know how what do you do when you're when your love is gone, you know? How oh, do you absolutely. Keep going, Anyone so. can relate to this, so yeah, yeah. check it out. So, yeah, come down Open to your, your local mind. library. Pick all these up. They're all available. Yeah. And if you have any questions or thoughts, don't forget to send it to allbookedup at buffalolib.org. We'll Definitely. talk about it on the show. We sure will. Follow us, SoundCloud, iTunes, all the good stuff. Oh, also, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes. I'd be remiss to not mention during Gay Pride Month, do yourself a favor and just read anything by David Sedaris and you will be a better person for it. Without a doubt. I will second that notion. Okay. And so a couple things that I that I found out that I just wanted to share for this month. But did you know that gay people tend to be left-handed much more often than heterosexuals? Really? Right? Huh. That's some cray-cray stuff right yeah, there. Yeah, that's an interesting little fact. Yeah. And that the state with the most gay couples is, but you can guess this. You got it. Yeah. With approximately like 92,000 and that the state with the least gay couples. Any thoughts? Mississippi. North Dakota. Yeah. Say approximately 700 couples. There's only like 800 people that live They're in. They're like, yeah, we like the warmth. Yeah, there's only 800 no. people that live in North Dakota. <laughs> yeah, so it's not so like, that's it in general. That makes okay, sense. well, thank you guys so much for listening. Happy Pride and we'll catch you next week. Bye.